Welcome back to the AWB COVID-19 Employer Resources Webinar Series, presented by Primera Blue Cross. Today, AWB President Chris Johnson dives deeper into the loans and grants available to small businesses. With Mark Costello of the Small Business Administration, Dan Zietlin of the Employment Security Department, Ken Plank with Numerica Credit Union, and Jack Heath and Burke Jakovich of Washington Trust Bank. With opening remarks from Bill Akers, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Primera Blue Cross. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Chris Johnson. Uh, we've had some technical difficulties this morning, so thank you for bearing uh, with us here this morning. We have a great lineup uh, for you today with the primary question being around the Paycheck Protection Program. On Friday, the newly created program began accepting applications. So what does this mean for small business owners? What do they need to know about it? Where do they apply? Who will qualify for funding? And what other kinds of help should employers be considering? We're fortunate this morning to have a robust group of speakers to discuss the CARES Act and the $2.2 trillion relief uh, program that Congress recently approved. We have a robust group of participants today. And because of that, and we suspect you're going to have a high amount of questions. So please be thinking about those early and get them in. Please identify who the question might be for. We do plan to run a little bit long today just to ensure that we can try to answer as many of your questions as possible. With us this morning and coming virtually, we have Mark Costello, the Deputy District Director for the U.S. Small Business Administration. Dan Zietlin is back from the Employment Security Department. Ken Plank, the Chief Lending Officer for Numerica Credit Union. Jack Heath, the President of Washington Trust Bank. Burke Jakowicz, the Vice President and Associate General Counsel for Washington Trust Bank is with us as well. So throughout the program today, just like every Monday's webinar, you've got a chance to ask the question that's on the top of your mind to some of the leading experts around this issue and today's issue being about financial relief for small businesses and those that have been impacted. The best way again to ask those questions is to go to the right hand corner of your GoToMeeting uh, platform ask your question, and again, please identify who your question might be for, and if it's for multiple attendees, just simply let us know that as well. A link to the full recording of today's webinar will be sent after the event to all of our attendees here today. So if you missed something or you didn't get a chance to write it down, know that we will have that link for you. Before we get started, uh, I want to thank and welcome in Primera Blue Cross, who is a strategic partner and our key sponsor of today's program. Bill Akers, the Senior Vice President uh, and the President of Washington State for Primera is with us. Primera has been a long and strategic partner of AWB, together working on our association healthcare plan for 20 plus years. Today, we ensure nearly 40,000 Washingtonians, most of those small businesses, and 40% of those participants not having prior healthcare coverage. Critically important uh, during these times. Primera is committed to this state. They're headquartered here in our state with a presence all throughout Washington state. And we're so delighted to partner with them in this capacity as we all attempt to navigate through this challenging period of times. Many thanks to Bill and his team for their sponsorship and partnership with us today and throughout the year. Let me turn it over to Bill Akers, president of Washington state for Primera Blue Cross to say a few words. Bill, welcome in. Thank you, Chris, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share a message from Primera. Uh, as Chris said, I'm Bill Akers. I'm the Senior Vice President of the Washington Market for Primera. I've been with the company for 16 years, and I'm a native of Spokane, and Washington has always been my home. 
To say that these are unusual times is a vast understatement, and there is no such thing as business as usual for any of us, including Primera. Over a month ago, early in the developing situation, we sent our employees home to serve our 2.3 million members through completely virtual means, which is something we had never done before. We have been able to keep our service levels up, and we've learned a lot about what it means to run virtually, and we've expanded our technology in ways we were forced into, but hope we can leverage in the future. We used the Microsoft Teams platform, the occasional Zoom meeting for large groups, and other mechanisms to carry on the mission of serving our members, our providers, and our business partners. Much of that work has centered around an ever-changing set of circumstances, which has led to a fluid environment of policy changes at both the state and the federal level within the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association with regulators, legislators, local government, special interest groups, providers, competitors, Medicare, and so on, a litany. Like AWB, we see one of our major roles right now as advocates for our customers and the healthcare system as a whole. And that means adjusting to the needs of each to get through this very trying time. I wanted to just take a minute to highlight a few examples of some of the things that we've done in the past few weeks. Uh, and many of these things have been ad adopted more broadly within the market and with regulators. First off, we made it easier for people to get early refills on their prescriptions to make sure as the demand increased and the supply chains were disrupted, the members had their medicines when they needed them. We eliminated prior authorization to ensure expedient access to care. We softened eligibility requirements to support employers who are doing their very best to give their workers continued access to healthcare, which is obviously so important right now. We expanded the grace period on late premium payments in recognition of the short-term trade-offs, particularly small business is forced into right now. To support the care delivery systems who are so vital to the, the cause and are simply heroic in fighting this pandemic, we are continuing claims payment during the period when premiums are not paid so that the providers have the cash flow they need to focus on the issue at hand. We've eliminated cost shares for patients being tested and treated for COVID to make sure no one who needs care delays it because of out-of-pocket cost concerns. We've tripled our virtual care options and removed cost shares for accessing telehealth for both medical and behavioral health needs. And we provided financial support for nonprofit agencies who are pushed to the hilt right now, trying to meet the ever-growing need. I applaud AWB's advocacy and communication efforts, their online resources, and their ability to create a platform like this for people to hear important information and learn where to get support. I like to think we at Primera have risen to that occasion as well, in partnership with organizations like AWB. We provide access to Primera coverage for 40,000 Washington workers and their families. As the last remaining Washington domiciled health plan, this is our backyard and these are our neighbors. This is ours to engage in, and we've been active initiators, early adopters, and willing participants to help not only our customers and providers, but all Washingtonians get through this challenge. There once again will be a day for healthy competition, but now is a great time for cooperation. Aside from dealing with this dreadful pandemic and supporting our healthcare professionals and delivery systems, our main focus is helping support business to survive and find a way to keep moving forward. Thank you once again, and I hope you find value in today's session.
Thank you, Bill. I want to thank Primera and thank you for your leadership on, on so many important issues, whether they be around rural vitality, homelessness, creating uh, a skilled, trained, educated workforce, specifically in the healthcare community. Really, again, appreciate you for being in our corner and Primera in your corner. So thank you. Let's go ahead and roll our quick video if we can. Primera Blue Cross is in your corner, wherever it may be. We're at the corner of Pacific and Northwest and in places that aren't measured by size. We're in your corner for the bumps in the road and the long roads ahead. And we're in these corners, investing millions for mental health services and to fight teenage homelessness. Primera is also in these corners every day, making healthcare work better. We're Primera Blue Cross, and we're always in your corner. All right, now for today's program, uh, please welcome back the Small Business Administration. And today is Mark Castello, the Deputy District Director for SBA. Uh, Mark, let's start with you. I know there's a lot of questions about this historic $2.2 trillion package, uh, the opportunities and impacts for, for small businesses and their employees. So can you take it away and give us a quick update from an SBA perspective? Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to visit with with you and and the membership today. Um, obviously, it's it's an unprecedented time uh, for small businesses, and SBA is trying to uh, facilitate the delivery of some programs that are going to make a difference um, and allow businesses to uh, to maintain themselves uh, during this time of economic interruption and be in a position to um, ultimately come out at the other side of this and be intact, uh, be intact financially, be intact operationally. So what I wanted to do real quick, uh, Chris, is, is just spend some time talking about, uh, mostly from kind of an overview perspective, the two primary um, tools that SBA has has rolled out, and and I want to just briefly, um, sort of as by way of background, provide uh, a little bit of history as to to how these things came about. Um, first of all, our economic injury disaster loan program, which I believe you guys have heard something about before, uh, was stood up. Uh, just about a, maybe two weeks ago, um, after a legislative change was was implemented that allowed businesses that are impacted by this virus to qualify for this program, which was previously designed generally for assistance for firms that had been impacted by physical disasters, things like earthquakes, um, forest fires, hurricanes, and the like. Um, so suffice it to say that the legislative change was made and SBA was able to uh, stand up our economic injury disaster loan product here just about two weeks ago. Um, and about a week ago, as a result of the passage of the, the CARE Act or CARES Act legislation, we were actually able to enhance the economic injury disaster loan offering um, by including uh, the possibility of what we call a quick cash advance for small businesses as part of that process. And essentially it allows a small business to have access to up to $10,000 um, 
in the form of essentially a grant uh, as a result of making application for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. So that tied into the CARES Act. I believe $10 billion was allocated to support that quick cash advance feature of the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. At this point in time, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan uh, product uh, is available. The application site has been significantly enhanced over just the last week. Um, I personally went in and just to get an idea of what it would take to make application. Uh, and it, it took just about five minutes to go through the process. So this is a streamlined delivery um, and it's it's really designed with, with urgency uh, and speed and simplicity in mind. Um, so I want to encourage people that while we're going to be talking uh, a lot about the other product, the Paycheck Protection Program, I want to encourage people to, to be aware that this other Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program is and will continue to be available to small businesses uh, at least through the end of December. Um, as I kind of look at it, I, I view it as maybe a backstop product while the Paycheck Protection Program, which I'll comment on here in a minute, uh, is intended to really provide funding to meet immediate, immediate staffing needs. Uh, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan product um, has a little bit of a broader um, perspective or orientation in that not only um, payroll, uh, but other uh, little bit longer term needs could potentially be accommodated with this product and the kind of money that might allow a business not only to retain employees, but to, to do some other things that, that would position it to be ready to roll when the economy returns to normalcy. So having said that about the economic injury disaster loan, product uh the the probably hot uh news and maybe the shiny bobble if you will of all of these different programs uh is now the paycheck protection program um and as as jack and ken uh our uh lending partners here on the panel um can attest to um that has come about in a in a rather fast and furious manner um, and the program itself was ultimately launched uh, and made available last friday so the idea with the paycheck protection program briefly and and i'm i'm hopeful that that ken and jack can talk a little bit more about the uh, the practical aspects of, of the delivery of these loans. But I want to just talk a little bit about kind of the high-level concept of what the Paycheck Protection Program is. First of all, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program that I just referenced has a maximum loan amount of $2 million, um, is in fact debt, uh, and is payable over 15 or 30 years at a fixed rate of 3.75%. Uh, con contrasted with the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, the Paycheck Protection Loan actually provides the ability for funding up to as much as $10 million. 
versus two for the economic injury disaster loan. And it has a built-in significant forgiveness feature. And so what I mean by that is uh, that if at least 75% of the loan proceeds are used to cover payroll-related costs, um, you will have the opportunity to have that debt forgiven. Um, and I think that that is a, a, a significant deviation from anything that SBA has been involved with in the past, but the, these are unique times. And, and essentially what has gone on here is that the legislation carved out about $350 billion for, for direct assistance to small businesses. And, and what the program people were able to do was identify the fact that the Small Business Administration and its lending partners uh, are a pretty impactful uh, group as far as delivering funding. So while our typical guaranteed loans are in fact debt that gets paid back, loans that are made from a variety of different uh, participating lending institutions throughout the area, um, these loans are different. Um, essentially what we're doing is we're partnering with our lending partners who typically make these 7A guaranteed loans and work as part of the 504 loan program funding. Uh, and we're partnering with that network and that delivery capacity to push this money out. Um, as I indicated, ultimately these are not um, typical loans and, and in most instances, from what I can tell, uh, the debt will be forgiven. Um, and I think it's important to understand that the program is really about payroll and employee retention. That's the ultimate driver here. So what you're gonna do uh, is have an opportunity to request one of these loans from the lending partner of your choice. Typically, I think folks are gonna start as we would typically suggest with their bank of account. If you have a, a relationship with a local lender, whether it be a, a community bank, a national bank, or, or, or a credit union, um, we're going to suggest that you go to that lender and you determine whether or not they're participating in the Paycheck Protection Program. And if they are, uh, you want to work with them to pursue one of these loans. And you want to provide them with the information that they're going to need to put the package together on your behalf and submit the application to SBA. Like the economic injury disaster loan, this is designed to, to really get the money out quickly. Uh, so it is a streamlined process, both in terms of the documenta documentation that you guys are gonna have to provide, as well as the work that the lender is going to have to do in, in underwriting the deal. Uh, they're not going to be applying the traditional uh, uh, underwriting processes and, and risk analysis that you would see in an ordinary commercial loan. Uh, there are some very basic eligibility requirements. Um, you as a small business are going to want to be able to present to the bank or, or to the lender information related to your payroll costs. That's from... Uh, the, that's really going to be the source of the ultimate loan amount. Uh, you're going to essentially have the ability to borrow two and a half times 
your average monthly payroll. And what the idea here is, is there is a little bit of latitude built in to cover some other costs. So as long as out of that money, you pay your staff for eight weeks, you can use the remainder of the funds to cover other fixed costs, things like utilities, rent, other fixed debt payments can all be uh, paid through this, this particular funding source. And again, ultimately, if you do um, cover at least 75% of the loan uh, or use at least 70, 75% of the loan proceeds for payroll-related costs, you stand to have the debt forgiven. And this is important. Um, your lender ultimately is going to get some some guidance from SBA as to how to affect that forgiveness. But that's the key here. This is about allowing businesses uh, to have the ability to retain employees or to bring them back if they've had to lay them off already. And again, to be able to position themselves so they're going to be ready to roll when the economy returns to normalcy and won't be burdened with the additional uh, challenge of having to go out and rehire and retrain folks. You're gonna be able to retain your staff intact so that when it's time to go and start to operate at, at full force, uh, you're gonna be ready to do that. Finally, um, I wanna point out that, that if, and I think the probably the SBA folks that have talked to you guys before would have referred you to our website. Um, this continues to be a, a really good source of information on the programs that are available to small businesses uh, during this time. If you simply go to sba.gov forward slash coronavirus, it's gonna take you uh, to a page that has a menu of programs that that are available to you and at the very top of that page is going to be the paycheck protection program but additionally from there you can drill down into the economic injury disaster loan product and it will take you directly to the application site um, that can be time really well spent as i indicated uh, as little as five to ten minutes uh, typically is required to submit an application under that program I, I want to also point out that, that there's no uh, prohibition or issue around applying for both loans. Um, what you would need to know is that you won't be able to get money for the same purpose, um, but if somebody were to say, I want to cover eight weeks or 10 weeks of my payroll costs via the Paycheck Protection Program, but I also have um, I know I'm going to be needing assistance with six months of rent and utilities and maybe need to pay some vendors. Those kinds of things can be accomplished with the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. So it's not an either or proposition. And I think it's uh, something where it may uh, ultimately be beneficial to have that additional capital cushion that the Economic Injury Disaster Loan product can provide. Um, because at the end of eight weeks, the doors may be open again, but it might take a little while for things to return to 100%. And having access to that additional capital, 
uh, low-cost, long-term capital, which would be available via the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, uh, might make a lot of sense. So I want you to think about both of those products. Finally, there was one other nice feature that I'm sure applies to some of you folks in the audience today uh, that was included in the CARES legislation. Uh, that is that the uh, any of you who have an existing SBA loan, an SBA guaranteed loan, or a 504 loan, um, what is going to happen over the next six months and probably has already started happening is that SBA will make the payments directly on those loans. We're going to make the payments to your lender. Um, so that's some relief. That's something that you're not going to have to worry about for the next six months. If you have already made a payment to your lender for a payment that, that came due after March 27th, um, your lender is going to be responsible to get back to you and ask you whether or not you want the money back or you want to apply it against the principal balance of, the, of your loan. Either way, I think that's a nice enhancement. Finally, uh, with regard to relief, um, I did want to also point out that the economic injury disaster loan that I mentioned, and by the way, these are loans made directly by SBA, includes a 12-month deferment feature. Um, so in other words, that once you get the money, you're not going to have to start paying it back for a year. Um, and the idea there, again, is to provide some breathing room and some relief to allow businesses who are going to benefit from these funds to have a little time to, to get back to a normal footing. Um, and so that, that deferment feature is just something that, that we were able to add to make that a little bit more of an appealing prospect for you guys. So with that, Chris, I want to turn it back over and, and, and let you run with it. I'm happy to answer any questions. And, and again, I'm sure that, that Ken and Jack have some probably insights as, as far as how this thing's actually going to work or is working at the ground level. Um, and I know there's some challenges, but I think there can be some great opportunities with the PPP as well as the EIDL. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Uh, we're going to save the questions for you uh, after we get through Mark and Ken. I'll tell you, we already have a long list of questions here. So uh, we'll be coming back to you for lightning round uh, answers to the questions here. A great list of questions already. So a reminder, for those on the call, and we have record volume on the call, go to the bottom right hand of your, of your screen, ask your question, and ask who your question is for. I think, Dan, uh, we've got Dan with Employment Security Department on here for a, a brief update. Dan, can you hear me? And if you can, take it away. I can, Chris. Can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you, Dan. Excellent. Um, and apologies due to some technical difficulties. I needed to uh, call in rather than use the video conferencing. Um, so thank you, Chris. Thank you, AWB, for inviting me to the call. Um, I know that uh, this is uh, really an unprecedented situation in our lifetime and just an enormous challenge for businesses and workers. So I appreciate the opportunity to speak to um, unemployment insurance and what ESD is doing in that regard. We had roughly 182,000 new unemployment claims for the week ending March 28th, which was seven times the peak week of initial claims we had during the Great Recession. 
uh, during that week, when you take the new claims filed and the weekly uh, claims filed, we had a total of 350,000 claims coming in. So just a historic, unprecedented uh, influx of claims coming into our claim centers. And we don't anticipate that to slow down in, in any way for the foreseeable future. The main sectors that we saw getting an increase last week were construction, uh, wholesale trade, manufacturing, and retail trade. Um, as you all know, um, this uh, uh, crisis is hitting um, really all, all facets of our economy. Um, along with, um, there are some sectors that are hiring like grocery and delivery services, and we at uh, Unemployment Insurance or at ESD are hiring uh, UI staff uh, uh, for our claim center, and we're encouraging folks to file online as that's the most effective way to get your claim processed. Um, so I think I'll speak a little today about um, UI coverage, what the Families First Coronavirus Response Act did with regard to UI, um, what, and what the CARES Act did with uh, regard to UI. So as I think most or all of you know, uh, regular unemployment insurance coverage covers individuals who have worked 680 hours in their base year, that is in the last four quarters or four of their last five quarters. There are um, some occupations that are exempt in our uh, state statute. UI provides uh, partial wage replacement and is normally available for 26 weeks. So we um, had obviously had that program in place when uh, this crisis first started, and we uh, look to make our program as flexible as possible uh, with regular UI. Um, but that became it became evident that that wasn't going to be enough to provide uh, businesses and workers the support they needed through uh, this crisis. Um, Congress passed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. This is the sort of second stimulus that was passed. Um, that bill provided emergency grants uh, for us to uh, start staffing up and better handle the influx of claims. So these are administrative grants, and it also um, authorized or encouraged states to be as flexible as possible with their UI program. So we uh, waived the waiting week. Normally a claimant files a claim, they wait a week and then they begin getting paid for that second week of unemployment. We waived that waiting week. And we also ultimately uh, waived the work search requirement uh, temporarily, uh, particularly given the stay home, stay safe order. Um, we thought that was in the best interest of, of everybody involved. Um, we're also placing workers on standby uh, for up to 12 weeks. Uh, that is uh, the ability to uh, collect unemployment insurance, not look for work with the expectation uh, that you'll be returning to your employer. Then the, uh, the CARES Act was passed and the, the CARES Act uh, uh, really put a lot of uh, money and made a lot of changes to the unemployment insurance program. So it did uh, three uh, really major things. Uh, number one, it establishes the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which is modeled off disaster unemployment assistance. The goal of this program is to cover individuals not covered by regular UI. So that is people who have a limited work history. They don't have that 680 hours in their base year. That is individuals who are not in covered employment. So that includes the self-employed, independent con contractors, and those occupations that are exempt in our state uh, statute. 
So the, the, uh, that program will be in place uh, through the end of the year. And we just received guidance yesterday from the Department of Labor to implement that program. Uh, the second key piece of the CARES Act with regard to unemployment insurance is that it establishes what is called pandemic unemployment compensation. So this is an extra $600 that individuals, whether they're on regular unemployment insurance, pandemic unemployment assistance, um, shared work, uh, they get an extra $600 a week on top of their weekly benefit amount uh, for the next four months. And again, um, as with the pandemic unemployment assistance, we just received guidance that we're digesting from the Department of Labor over the, over the uh, weekend. Uh, the third key new program established or, or new provision in there is emergency unemployment compensation. Uh, so unemployment insurance is uh, allowable for up to 26 weeks. This provision adds another 13 weeks uh, providing unemployment assistance, whether it's under regular UI or the pandemic program uh, for up to 39 weeks. Uh, finally, a note on shared work. I think as many of you know, uh, shared work is a program that allows businesses to uh, retain their staff at up to 50% of, uh, of their hours and then unemployment insurance covers the rest. So under the CARES Act, uh, those UI expenses, uh, those UI benefits paid are 100% financed by the Fed. So that means no uh, benefit charges for that, uh, no experience rate increases. And again, the extra $600 a week applies there. We also passed a set of emergency rules related to shared work to loosen up some of the requirements around it. Uh, traditionally, the program has not been open to salaried and overtime exempt employees. We uh, removed that restriction. The program is not available for businesses who have um, taxes or penalties and interest owed to ESD. We removed that as well, so those businesses are available. And then finally, uh, under shared work, businesses that are new to Washington had come to the state in the last uh, six months, had not previously been eligible, they are now. So we've opened up uh, shared work um, as broadly as we can. Um, again, benefits are financed by the feds, workers get the $600. So if businesses are able to uh, uh, reduce workloads to 50%, that's uh, still a, a good option uh, for retaining your workforce. Um, Couple other things to note that the CARES Act does. The CARES Act funds, um, as I mentioned, we waive the waiting week. The CARES Act funds those benefits. Um, and if you are a reimbursable employer, these are namely nonprofits who don't pay a tax, but rather reimburse uh, ESD for benefits paid, the feds are not going to cover 50% of those uh, benefits. So I know we just heard from SBA, and there are uh, really a lot of options for employers to to stay afloat and retain staff, whether it's uh, small business loans, um, whether it's paid sick leave, whether it's shared work, uh, but UI is there um, as, as a last resort. Um, Congress passed the bill uh, in late March and it's the UI provisions are in effect. However, we uh, need some time to update our systems in order to fully implement and properly implement these three programs, the pandemic unemployment assistance, the extra $600 a week, and the extra 13 weeks of um, weekly unemployment benefits. Our goal is to have our IT system up to date 
um, and uh, ready to accommodate claimants in these programs starting on uh, the claim week of April 19th. Claims weeks start on a, on a Sunday and eligible claimants will be paid uh, retroactively for benefits owed. So for the extra $600 a week um, and the extra 13 weeks of unemployment compensation for those who have exhausted their 26 weeks of benefits, uh, that's backdated retroactive to March 29th. For the pandemic unemployment assistance, that can go all the way back to February 2nd, and that is really uh, contingent. Your eligibility there is really contingent on how and when you were impacted by uh, COVID-19, whether it is uh, you had to care for a loved one who was infected, you had to uh, look after a child after schools closed, uh, whether a gov uh, one of the governor's orders uh, forced you to stay at home, um, and any number of other eligibility criteria. So we are moving as quickly as we can to uh, update our IT systems and be, re and be fully capable of launching these programs while looking to staff up our claim centers um, to handle, again, this really unprecedented and sudden influx of UI claim claimants we're serving. Um, I encourage uh, folks to go onto our website, esd.wa.gov. When you go on there, uh, front and center, uh, there is a place where you can sign up for email alerts. I encourage you to do that. Uh, we want to keep people updated on changes we're making, updates to our system, and the best timing to apply uh, for benefits. Um, I think I'll stop there and happy to take any questions. Thank you, Dan. That was excellent. Uh, I'm going to save you and Mark, if we can, and try to jump to Ken Plank and to Jack Heath. Ken, we'll be going to you next. Uh, I know a number of you have got questions about how do you access uh, these types of programs. Banks and credit unions are going to play important roles in doing that, and we're fortunate to have the Chief Lending Officer of Numerica Credit Union with us and an AWB board member in Ken Plank. Ken, let me turn it over to you. Thank you, Chris. Can you hear me? I can. Good. Um, so what I want to uh, try to cover today real quick is uh, Numerica Credit Union's lending response. Uh, so a quick background, uh, we serve over 155 members. We have over 2,100 loans to businesses with close to 800 million outstanding. Uh, we also serve 90 SBA current members. Uh, and of course that's growing rapidly right now. Our primary geographical area, Eastern Central Washington and, uh, and North Idaho. Uh, we provide lending solutions to commercial, small business, private banking, ag, agriculture, um, and then consumer uh, credit union members in our markets. <clears throat> Let's see, next page, please. Um, our current relief plans to our, our business members, you know, not uh, non-paycheck protection, um, is uh, what we're doing for our own members basically uh, right now is we've incorporated a six-month principal payment deferral uh, based on needs. We have a three-month principal and interest deferral for the existing SBA members utilizing our delegated authorities with SBA, which means we can approve those loans ourselves and get them done quickly. Uh, we also have a six-month deferral on principal and interest to a very select few business members that have really been severely impacted by COVID-19, maybe hospitality, restaurant, that type of stuff. 
Uh, and then we've been doing stuff like waiving cash management fees, just trying to do anything and everything that we can do to, to help everybody in these, these tough times. Um, next page, please. Some of the lending process changes internally uh, it, that we've uh, put together in the last week or so just to better serve our members. We've really created a streamlined credit document uh, to process our what we call change in terms uh, quickly. And then we've, um, we have an, a, an abbreviated normal credit approval process now uh, to get things done quickly as well. And in order to um, you know, keep our ship in order, in order, we've reassessed internal risk factors um, so we can continue to do this you know, long term. Next page, please. So to help illustrate the SBA Paycheck Protection Plan, and Mark did a good job earlier at what it looks like at Numerica, I've listed a few things here um, you know, that maybe are unique to Numerica, maybe not, but some of the standard eligibility requirements as I understand them. We've been interviewing third-party vendors, uh, and I think we're real close to getting, um, getting the right partner to help us process more of these loans and, and respond to our members with the, with the intention to, uh, you know, our goal is to get out there and help even non-members and just help our community as much as possible. So uh, as I understand it, any business with less than 500 employees is eligible. I think Mark referenced that for the paycheck protection, um, which in our market, that's pretty much uh, the majority of the businesses are, will be eligible. You know, our service level agreement, our goal that we kind of set uh, ourselves is to get the, get these loans done within seven to 10 days. At this point, the big concern for everybody is it's really dependent on how quickly uh, we can get through the SBA. It's, uh, you know, the, the program, it, it offers a significantly more streamlined process compared to a normal SBA, which is 20 to 30 day typically. Um, the program, I, as I understand it, is designed to help business cover payroll. I think Mark talked about this, but it also includes uh, the mortgage, mortgage interest or rent, utility, stuff like that, uh, you know, for the right circumstance. One of the requirements that I thought was noteworthy as well is uh, the requirement the employees continue to get paid. Um, payroll is capped at 100000 on annualized basis for each employee was an understanding that I had. Um, and then loan payments will be deferred for six months. Uh, no collateral or guarantee require, guarantor requirements. So those are big changes and a, hopefully a great relief for, for a lot of businesses. Next phase, please. So, um, you know, we're in addition to uh, you know taking care of our own members and the and the protection, uh, the payment uh, protection program. We're also continuing to take in SBA Express bridge, bridge loans, is what we call them. Those are up to twenty five thousand. Um, I know a lot of people probably heard about the ten k emergency loan. That's a direct application from, uh, and it's really from the business owner to SBA. You really don't uh, have lender involvement with that. Uh, we're also doing SBA disaster relief loans, and they're submitted through New America, uh, and, but they follow, you know, traditional guidelines or, you know, standard operating guidelines. So it's going to take a little longer typically. Uh, the SBA Express line of credit is up to 350, 
uh, and that's also using our standard our standard guidelines. Those will take a little bit longer is my understanding. So the last uh, thing I wanted to talk about real quick uh, is what Numerica is also doing to non-business members to help mitigate the damage done by COVID-19. We're doing catastrophe loans up to 5,000 at 499 subject subject to change and these are to consumers uh, we're also uh, we have an extension program so we'll do uh ex we're extending loan payments for consumers up to 30 days initially with the potential for another 60 days uh, to help us get through this uh, we also uh, are doing a skip a pay program and are waiving the 30 dollar usual fee because of COVID 19 this will help members skip a payment on uh, you know, your auto truck, recreational, toy, uh, and personal lines of credits. Uh, and then, uh, you know, lastly, we're, we're looking at waiving some, uh, some of our non-Numerica ATM fees that are traditional during COVID-19 um, program. So Chris, that's what I had I wanted to share today. Uh, and I'll open it up to questions or wait till the end or whatever you want to do. Well, thank you, Ken. That was a really good update. Uh, just so our speakers know, we've got about 20 questions to get to, so we're going to try to do these in a lightning round environment. I'm going to segue next, uh, if I can, to Jack Heath, president of Washington Trust Bank, uh, to say a few words, and then we're going to come back and get into the, the questions. And again, great diversity of questions that are coming in, and a friendly reminder uh, to ask your question. Go to that go-to meeting box in the right-hand corner of your screen. Ask who the question is for. So. Jack, uh, headquartered bank in, in the state of Washington, Spokane, welcome back. Thank you, Chris. Just to, to touch on a couple of quick things, and I think we should jump right into the questions. Um, a few things. One is we have been processing the PP loan, PPP loans, and I will tell you that we're having uh, the, the volume is overwhelming. Uh, the, the system is having challenges today, and the SBA and the banks are working as quickly as we can to address it. But you should plan that if you're putting an application in today, it, it will be a period of time to for that to be funded, and we are concerned about funds in that program running out and hoping that that can be replenished. So I'd be interested in the SBA's perspective from that. The second part is, as you're participating in these plans, do your due diligence. That is a good example of a program that's a great program, but those funds have to be deployed over the next four weeks, or over the next eight weeks, rather, and um, just understand the criteria for reimbursement and how those work, and we can go through that in detail and your banks and credit unions, any financial institution can help you with that. I would also say to remember, as Ken touched on, consumers uh, for consumer loans, for mortgages, for CRE loans that you have in place, there are 90-day deferrals available with extensions on those at almost all financial institutions. So you can go through that process, defer those loans for businesses and individuals to help through that process and encourage people to take advantage of those programs. The regulators and the uh, accounting professionals have made it so the banks can participate in those programs actively and not have classified loans or issues on our books. So we're open for business on those and encouraging people to take advantage who need them. The final thing that I'd say is we'll go through some of the other programs around the $10,000 emergency check program that's out there and others that are available for uh, 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 different businesses. There's a lot of programs that are there. I would just say be patient. The volumes are staggering. It's taking time as they're working through the quickly releasing the, the criteria that are being outlined, and uh, we are here to help. I think we should get to the questions, Chris. 
Great. Thank you for that update, Jack. Uh, I think this first question goes to you and Ken. If I don't have a lending relationship with a bank, will they allow me to apply for the PPP? And what are my options, if so, or if not? Yes, we will allow you to apply, but there's a couple of things to be aware of. If you have a checking account at an institution, you should go to that institution because they have to go through the normal uh, 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 know your customer pieces and work through that process. Number two, I would tell you uh, uh, that all financial institutions are very backlogged with requests. So um, some have some of the larger institutions have stopped taking applications um, and criteria are very different from bank to bank. So visit with your financial institution, but yes, you can apply. Yeah, and the only thing I, I can add to that, Chris, is um, you know, with the just the pure amount of requests we're getting from our you know, our own members, and I'm sure Jack with his clients, you know, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can to get to those. And, and that's why we've, you know, we've kind of sought out a, a partnership that will allow us to do more. And once that happens, then maybe we can reach out to more uh, non-members of the credit union. Great. Uh, the next question here is, is the forgiveness that's tied to these uh, programs tied to any other conditions other than the, than the 75 percentage that's uh, towards payroll. Yes, I'm going to ask Burke to answer that. Hi. Uh, yeah, it, it appears that it is. It's not just the 75% of payroll. You also have to expend the funds within eight weeks after the loan. We're unclear from the SBA at this point whether that's from the funding date of the loan or from when you receive the SBA um, approval on the loan. Uh, we hope to get that to be clear, but you have eight weeks to expend those funds um during that time period there is the seven and so for businesses that are shuttered right now and don't have their employees on staff and are not in it means you need to basically bring back 75 percent of your employees in order to meet those payroll expenses that's going to be challenging for companies and i think that goes back to what mark was saying that this ppp loan program is not necessarily for every business the idle or disaster recovery loans might be a better solution for some of our customers um, to look at directly through the SBA, especially if you can't reopen your doors. So there are other there are other qualifications, and the devil is in the detail here. We don't have clear guidance, and I think you don't have clear guidance of what's going to count as payroll costs. There's general ideas out there, but but the SBA just hasn't had time to give us those details. Yeah, and the only thing I can add that uh, he covered pretty much everything that I was going to say. Uh, you know, and I indicated, uh, er, as I indicated earlier, we've kind of, we're creating uh, other non-PPP programs just to try to reach out to as many people as we can, because not everybody's going to qualify for, or, or maybe there's a better product, you know, for than the PPP. So. Mark Costello, if you're still with us, do you have 30 seconds to maybe uh, on this question as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um... And I, I appreciate Jack and and uh, and Ken's perspective. And Ken gave me a, maybe a little bit of cover there. Um, so this, there are still some fine points to the implementation of the program that that are are being worked on. And and I think uh, to the question of just exactly what it, what is counted as as payroll costs. That's one that we're waiting for some additional guidance on. Um, another has to do with uh, 
contractors or contract employees and and how exactly that is is going to be handled uh some of the guidance we've we've that's contained in the regulations um indicates that that contract employees are encouraged to go apply for their own ppp loan but i'm not sure how practical that is um, so i'm hopeful that there's going to be some additional guidance in that regard chris that uh, and certainly just overall um, given the 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 hurry to push these regulations out um, they don't cover everything there there are some some gaps in there that further policy guidance from SBA I think will make a big difference uh, in giving uh, applicants um, a level of confidence that, that they can qualify and giving lenders a level of confidence that they're doing what's expected of them so so stay tuned on that and and I as as maybe unhelpful as it is I, I i do continue to encourage people to to keep looking at that sba website because we continue to populate that with updated information and guidance as it becomes available back to jack and uh ken on this question there's there's a number of programs we've talked about today so i'm going to combine a couple questions here can you address the overlap of the EIDL, the, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, so that uh, the question's here, so we don't double dip and can leverage all the resources to the right situation. So can you maybe just spend a few seconds at a high level, Mark, about matching the right tool to the challenge that the employer faces and, and talk about those tools as well? Would you like us to cover that or for Mark to cover that? Let's start with you and then maybe finish with Mark if we can. I'm going to have Burke address that. So, Thank you. with the disaster recovery loans, the EIDLs, um, it, part of the uh, payment paycheck protection program, they allow you to basically refinance your EIDL loan into the paycheck protection program. Now, the uses of those EIDL loans still have to meet the paycheck, the PPP lo uh, loan program when you seek forgiveness. But basically, you can do 250% of your average monthly payroll plus your EIDL amount. Now you're also going to then also subtract out the any $10,000 the advance loan that Mark was discussing uh, from that loan amount uh, because they're not going to let you double dip basically on that piece uh, for the grant. Um, but remember the that lets you refinance that that idle loan into a two-year 1% term with a potential for forgiveness as long as you're using those idle funds uh, for the purposes set forth and under the uh, within the time frame set forth under the uh, pay, Paycheck Protection Act. So um, now that those unforgiven pieces are going to roll out into an 18 after the six month deferral period into an 18 month. Uh, our understanding is uh, fully amortized over 18 months, 1% uh, principal and interest payment uh, during that that uh, 18 month time period. That's it's not bad. It's a nice, it's a nice bridge, but it's not like the unforgiven portions of the loan will be automatically due. And so, can, can you touch on the disaster direct uh, program as well for directly to the SBA? So that's that's the idle loan, those disaster direct loans. So that's that that disaster loan there, along with the ten thousand dollar advance. You'll get that loan directly from the SBA, but within the pay, uh, payment protection program, you're able to then refinance that loan. Um, into the PPP. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I don't really have much to add to that. That was uh, great. Thank you, Bill. Hey, Bill Akers, are you with us still? Nope, oh, looks like we dropped drop Bill. All right, uh, Mark, let's jump to you. There's a question here regarding, uh, this has come up a couple weeks in a row. Are 501c6 organizations going to be able to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program? So my understanding is, is it's broadly available to uh, nonprofits. Um, and so uh, if you guys maybe could share an example of what a what one of those might be, uh, I could probably reflect on that a little bit more, more effectively. Um, I think Mark, to that point, there's a number of, uh, of chambers and economic development councils and other organizations in the state that fall under the tax code of C6 versus that C3 foundation. And I think okay. that C, uh, there's a, a number of questions in here. Are C6s eligible to apply for that? Or C3s certainly are. Yeah, I believe they would be, Chris. Um, another, uh, just just sort of related to the question of nonprofits, um, and maybe none of the audience here is directly associated, but maybe from an informational perspective, the the nonprofit eligibility definition has been broadened to include all um, churches and other types of religious organizations. There was some real ambiguity there previously as to uh, uh, what portion of a of a church uh, might might qualify for one of these programs. Uh, now the the case is that that they all do. So. Mark. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Dan, are you still with us on the phone? I am. Can you hear me? I can. There's a question for you that says, Excellent. should self-employed people apply for unemployment until the PPP uh, program and funding comes through? So I think uh, just generally speaking, I have to leave it to a business to decide between the PP program or UI or what's best from them. If you're self-employed, though, what I can say is that you don't qualify for uh, regular UI, uh, but you will so long as you meet uh, one of the various scenarios uh, related to COVID-19, uh, be eligible for the PUA program. Um, at this time, we're encouraging folks in that bucket to um, hold off while we, as I discussed in my presentation, stand up our IT systems for that um, so that you're able to apply when we're ready to take take your application um, starting April 19th. So I can't speak to thinking between the two programs, but I can say the self-employed will not qualify for regular UI. They are very likely to uh, uh, be able to qualify for PUA. And I'll add that will be, and again, I encourage folks to sign up for our email alerts, putting information out there to include uh, what is required in terms of uh, documentation to establish your uh, weekly wage for unemployment insurance purposes in the PUA program. Great. Thank you, Dan. Uh, back to our bankers. Uh, a number of questions regarding the EIDL and paycheck program. Uh, there's a, a number, there's a discussion about, is there an ability to refinance an EIDL into the PPP? And if so, what is the advantage of doing this as opposed to keeping them separate? 
Thanks for listening. Me, uh, Our next on webinar in the AWB COVID-19 Employee Resources Series is coming up April 6th. Go to awb.org for more information. There are a number of different com companies under the 7A program that do not qualify still for this program, but the, the SBA has expanded it significantly, and your lender can go through with you on your qualification for that program. Um, and, and again, on the idle, the, the disaster recovery loan program, uh, I mean, some of it is um, going to be dependent on the business's situation, right? So I, to me, one of the great things about the disaster loan program is it's worked for businesses and small businesses for a generation now as they've had to recover from what's usually been a natural disaster, right? But that's situations where these businesses have to be closed and can't have their employees or can't work for long periods of time. And the long-term and low fixed interest rate in that loan has allowed these companies to make that bridge across there. Like Mark said, the PPP is designed to basically inject quick liquidity to small businesses to make payroll. If your customers, or if your employees, excuse me, are laid off right now and you can't open your door, it's your business decision, but it's gonna be very, very difficult to deploy this money for payroll. And so that's you know one of the things that you need to talk to your professionals, your accounting professionals, your legal professionals, and your business teams about, about whether this makes sense um, by the time you take it. The very attractive feature of this program, and I think why so many people are, are, are wanting to get in, is the idea of the forgiveness uh, portion. I do think there'll be substantial forgiveness by the government. The, like I said, the devil's in the detail, but again, that's not necessarily the element that is going to help your business bridge this problem that we're in right now. And the real segregation is the PPP program is good if you can get open and it's intended to get your employees employed and then working and you have an eight week period of time to recuperate those funds. The, the disaster recovery loan program is for those companies that will be unable to open. So there's a real important differential between those two programs. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I, it really is going to have to be a case by case basis based on my understanding. We just have to look at that. Hey, hey Jack, maybe staying with you and Burke for a moment. Uh, and if you can't answer this question, let's go to Mark. If you can't, uh, people on the line are saying they're hearing different answers to the question of is the first ten thousand dollars from the EIDL program a grant or a loan? Can you speak to the difference between the first 10 and if it's a grant or a loan? I, I might defer to Mark a little bit on this, but I, I do think it's a okay. grant. It's, uh, it's a $10,000 advance. So if you were to apply for $100,000 of assistance for the idle, you would get the first $10,000. And then once the final disaster loan came through, the additional $90,000 would be funded. Um, however, if you ended up not qualifying, you would not have to repay the $10,000 um, on the advances, is my understanding of the program. Now, again, this isn't a program that banks are directly involved in. Um, right. There's still issues. You need to make sure that you're applying for the program because you need the funds and those other things, right? And so um, I wouldn't just say it's money for everybody. Um, you still need to apply and be qualified um, in order to receive that grant. And I'm sure Mark can get more detail on that. And Mark, as you get into that detail, one of the things that we're telling our clients is be ethical in your approach to why you're trying to get the funds. Your best efforts to understand those different programs, use your professionals to do it and to submit those applications. And then the event you do end up in that wrong program, 
your risk is uh, reimbursement of those funds and not being able to take advantage of it. So um, I, you know, I think Mark, you can comment better than I. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Um, yeah, and Burke's uh, take on the on the nature of that uh, upfront cash is accurate. One thing that I would um, throw out there that we were just given clarification on over the weekend, uh, which is unfortunate, um, is that the the grant itself. Um, the language in the application indicates up to $10,000. And evidently there was a carve out in the, in the CARES Act uh, where they uh, allocated $10 billion for this. And so there's some math behind the uh, rationale. But my understanding is that this isn't going to be a blanket $10,000 um, arrangement for any business. It's going to be conditioned on the number of employees. Uh, I know that that's disappointing and, and is, is some information that's more than uh, more detail than we were given initially. Um, but the fact of the matter is, just as you said, Jack, yes, obviously these are applications that need to be applied for or loans that need to be applied for accurately, truthfully, and in good faith. Uh, that's critically important in either of these programs. Um, but if, a, if an employer has employees, their opportunity to get more money out of that idle grant is definitely there. Even if they don't, even if the loan doesn't ultimately get approved, they are going to uh, qualify for that quick little cash infusion, which could be a positive thing. Let me go to this next question regarding leases and the PPP program. It's asking, is it just space or equipment leases or both covered by uh, the, the Paycheck Protection Program? Whoever would like to take the first answer of that. Yeah, um, I believe it could be both uh, equipment leases. It could be uh, facility leases, uh, could even be fixed debt payments. Um, I think the important thing is is to understand that the that the bulk of the funds, as we've indicated previously, if if you're interested in the uh, debt forgiveness aspect. Uh, at least 75% of the money needs to be for payroll related uh, expenditures. And then that other 25 or 20 or whatever it might turn out to be can absolutely be for those other fixed operational costs. And Mark, Mark does that towards interest only or principal as well? Yeah, they, they, they had a strange, uh, you're right, Jack, that the way the language in the regs uh, discusses payment of interest on on existing debt as as being allowable. Uh, next question here is: Do employee benefits such as health care, dental, and vision qualify as part of the 75% for the paycheck program? And what about long-term death and disability paid by the employer? My understanding is that that all of those payroll related costs can be included. 
Okay, great. Chris, as you're uh, walk no, I was going to say, Jack. walking through this, I would, um, as we're giving this advice, as Mark and I are working through this and Ken with you, I would say that the criteria for debt forgiveness, although outlined what qualifies, the criteria for debt forgiveness are still being developed and not released. Correct, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think there's going to be a, a, a requirement for some kind of confirmation or documentation of what the funds were used for and that in fact those employees um, who, who were recipients uh, presumably of these funds are still on the payroll at the time uh, at the end of that eight week period. Yeah, and we will be asking our customers to use their 940 and 941s quarter ends to verify their employment numbers and number of employees, and then also to warrant that um, only up to $100,000 per employee for the program. So there'll be a lot of, uh, of follow-up to the debt forgiveness portion of this with the lenders in this process. You know, th this is an interesting question that comes up uh, here is, how long will the PPP program be open for? So the question is from someone saying, I don't know I need to access this today, but is this program gonna be open until June, yeah. until September? Right. Is there a closure right. to the program? I think Jack uh, indicated he wanted to hear from me about that earlier. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that's a that's a fantastic question. So so we just launched the thing on Friday um, with with uh, a number of banks that that apparently were able to start taking applications fairly quickly. A number of banks have started to do it over the weekend. Um, I was given uh, some numbers that, that indicated that things are moving forward pretty well, but, but that there, there's still a, a huge, huge opportunity out there. So while we may have uh, or may be seeing something in the, the 20 to $30 billion range uh, already in approvals, um, I think for one, it's important to understand that those are uh, people that were queued up, um, but number two, that that there was a 350 billion dollar carve out in the in the CARES legislation to support this program, and so uh, I'm confident. Number one, that that there is going to be a, a ability for a lot, a lot, a lot of small businesses to access these funds right now. But beyond that, um, I've heard things already uh, suggesting that that you know legislatively it could be uh, accomplished to as part of an additional package to to increase the funding, um, and that's certainly not inconceivable based on the environment that we're in right now. Hey, Mark. Uh, you, Mark. Is one if you're reaching out to your reach out if you're interacting with your legislators, reinforce to them how important these SBA programs are, and start lobbying for the next wave of funding, because we're concerned it could run out very quickly. The second part to be aware of is the funds from the program. Hey, Mark, I wanted I wanted to ask the. It's my understanding the SBA website and the Treasury websites 
are updated regularly. Is that is that the case? Because a lot of these changes, I mean, it's going to be a yeah. fluid process. Right, uh, but right. But a lot yeah. of these, I look at it every morning, and there's something different on there, and I think that's important for you know just get off to sba.gov/corona. It is. It's that's that's really important. Two things on that, Ken. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, one is it's an easy website to get to sba.gov, and and immediately there's a big picture of the coronavirus, and you you can click right under it. it takes you to that menu of of the financing programs that we've been discussing, and you can get all of the updates, all of the details, um, you know, and they are being updated as as we go along. Um, the other is is there is a and you guys probably heard of this on on the previous SBA participation. Um, we have a uh, an email alert uh, system that that could be very useful as well. All you have to do is go to sba.gov forward slash updates, uh, and if you do that, um, you're going to to uh, be able to put in your email address and your zip code. And you're going to get any relevant sort of public-oriented uh, communication from SBA when it's available. So, kind of two different approaches to, to among a variety of other ways that I'm sure you guys get your information uh, that would allow you to know that it was it was vetted by SBA and and produced by SBA. Um, and while our stuff may not always be great for everybody, you'll know that it's accurate. I would also just Jack. Go ahead. We'll see with your CPAs. They are uh, doing a lot of uh, FAQs. You'll see postings at our website as well as other financial institutions around the information. And I would also tell you that this particular PPP program applications for it sunset on 6:30. Hey, hey, Jack and Ken, if you could, uh, and then we're going to begin to wrap up. We're about 20 minutes over this morning, but I really appreciate you all staying with us. There's a lot more questions to get to. Jack and Ken, from, from your experience dealing with employers, can you speak to what the turnaround time has been so far from on, on both SBA loans and the EIDL program, knowing it just went live, but can you talk a little bit about the experience and what realistic turnaround time should be as we go through this process? Yeah, you know, the, uh, go ahead, Jack. No, go ahead, Ken. You know, it went live, my understanding went live Friday. Um, we started, we started, um, you know, e-tranning over the weekend, and uh, my understanding there was a crash this morning um, that I, you know, right before I got on this call. So I'm not sure where we're at there, um, but the time frame uh, until we get, you know, our hands around the process and some of the changes. I mean, we're all building this thing, you know, as we speak. We've been, you know, pretty much on the fly. Uh, so I would, I would hesitate to predict or commit to a time frame you know our goal when we first got together when this when this first started was to try to you know set up an sla of, of uh, a service level agreement of seven to ten days but we just don't we don't know what we don't know at this point i would echo that same comment i think uh we uh processed about 200 applications over the weekend we have a backlog of over a thousand so um it's a it's a big backlog demand is huge um, but get your applications at least in process. 
Well, I, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We've had a great program. There's, again, another 20 questions or so we could go, and we, and we ran over by about 20 minutes. Jack, I think you said something really important, which is there's going to be another package here that comes out of Congress, and now is the time to start articulating support for that. Uh, probably another package that looks like the one that just passed before we get to kind of talking about real recovery. So uh, this is an opportunity for us to figure out what's really making a difference on the ground for employers and their employees and, and local communities. Uh, I want to thank everyone who joined us today. Ken, Bill, Mark, Dan, Burke, uh, you guys all did a great job today. Thank you for answering many of these complex questions that we had here. Again, we'll be back next Monday at 10 o'clock with the next webinar series. Uh, it'll feature Dr. Bono, who is the state lead. Uh, Admiral Bono has been on the job two and a half weeks now, leading the state of Washington's response, uh, along with Dr. Michael Jackson. So again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your great questions. Uh, to our speakers, thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. Uh, please be safe this week. We're adjourned. Thanks for listening. Our free employer resources webinar series is every Monday at 10 a.m. with the next one coming up April 13th. For more information, go to awb.org.